Welcome to Equality Education, a show about inclusive teaching, supportive parenting, and a kinder future. Hello, everyone. How are you? I hope you are good. So today on the show, I speak with Dominic Arnall, the CEO of Just Like Us, the LGBT plus charity for young people. Just Like Us was founded for a simple reason, because growing up, LGBT plus is still unacceptably tough. So I caught up with Dominic to talk about the work Just Like Us is doing in schools around the country, as well as having him share his own story too. Hello, Dominic. How are you doing? Hi, very well, thanks. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. Very happy to. (laughs) I'm super excited because you are the big CEO of Just Like Us, a super awesome charity which I've been involved with over the past uh, couple of years. So yeah, I'm super excited to be talking to you today about everything. But what I'd like to start with is can you please tell me and the listeners a happy memory from your childhood? Oh, that's a nice question. Um, I think one of my earliest memories is uh, we used to live in Italy. And I remember um, I've always been obsessed with music. And I remember um, seeing uh, a record player at the end of the room. And this record was spinning round and round and just gravitating towards it. And as I got closer, I must have been sort of three or four, I think. I just remember being picked up and sort of soaring above the record player into the sky as someone tried to lift me away from doing any mischief. Now, Dominic, am I right in thinking that you identify as gay or bi? Uh, I'm bisexual, yeah. You're bi, sorry. No, don't worry. Just want to make that sure. And pronouns, uh, he, him. He, him. I mean, it's important to ask these things, isn't it? Of course, yeah. And uh, as long as we ask in a polite way, I think it's absolutely fine. I totally agree. I think, um, in fact, I think it's great to ask. I think specifically for bi people, it's quite hard to come out, actually, because you can't refer to your partner because they won't necessarily, people won't necessarily know you're bi. So, so actually being asked is quite nice. So what was it like growing up as as a bi person? I thought about this a lot, you know, obviously giving the job that I do. And I think that the, the, the main takeaway that I have is that I didn't really have the language. So I always knew who I was. But for a very, very long time, I didn't really know what that was. And I did, certainly didn't know the word bisexual. Um, so I have memories from being sort of, you know, between sort of five and 10 and having sort of strong admirations the way that children do for, for other, other young people. Um, and, and, you know, seeing them and they were, you know, boys, girls, um, all sorts of people. Uh, so, so that was always there, but I, I definitely wouldn't have, have said the word bisexual. And I didn't say the word bisexual for, for a long time. It's funny because I feel like a common theme is it's not that we know what we are, but it's just we know what we're not and we know that we're different um, from quite a young age. I think, yeah, I think you, you, you have a sense and, and whether or not what you know is out there, you always have a sense. And I think it can be complicated sometimes for bi people because um, you still have that sense. And yet there, may, there are probably fewer signals directing you to, to say, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. And certainly the, through a lot of kind of internalized biphobia, internalized homophobia, you sort of try and switch that side of yourself off and say, look, I'm, I'm not going to engage with that. Um, and, and we all know how unhealthy that is. Yeah, totally. And also there's the other uh, stress of bi-erasure as well. Yeah. Um, which is something I'm really having to learn because a lot of the time, you know, I am a bit... Um, 
ignorant maybe and 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 i and i just lump the bi people in with with the gay people and it's like actually no i i shouldn't be doing that like bi people deserve to to be represented themselves yeah i think so but i mean to some extent you know lumping bi people in with gay people is is better than <laughs> than not thinking of us at all as it were um i think that i think that there's still a lot of work to do and it's really interesting um, you know the conversations we have with organizations the conversations we have with schools they're really only just now starting to to, to kind of awaken to to bi inclusion and, and that it's something that needs to be talked about uh and discussed um i remember uh, when i was working at stonewall one of the things that um i worked on was uh, a, a piece of work with the crown prosecution service looking at what a biphobic hate crime might be and how that might vary from say a homophobic hate crime and and the the really sad reason is that very typically a biphobic hate crime will be something that is delivered to you by a partner. So a partner will identify you as bi, will find out you're bi, and there'll be a there'll be an assault committed on that basis. Um, because of course, only bi people come out to their partners. Well, and trans people, obviously. What was it that led you to work in the charity sector? So I've worked in the charity sector uh, since I've worked. So I think when I was 16, I worked for Mencap. Um, I came from a town called Bedford, uh, which is about 60 miles north of London. Wonderful place, wonderful people. Um, not too many opportunities. Uh, and I was started working in a care home. I didn't really know what else to do. Um, and from, from that, I just, I, I just got the bug, I guess. I just kept going and, and, um, I worked for a disabilities charity for a long time. And then, um, I worked in LGBT rights. I worked in mental health and, and now I've come back to LGBT rights. Uh, I think that they're just, you know, whatever you do for a living, you can have a difficult week and you can have a difficult time and you can have bad days, but there's something about finishing your week and thinking, well, however bad it's been however difficult things have got i am working towards something and i'm i'm trying i'm trying to make the world a better place um that i find quite sort of quite addictive and quite soothing i guess just talking about um your previous work with charities you worked at a, a couple of mental health charities uh, was it mind so I worked for Mind, uh, working on the, t I was head of program management for the Time to Change campaign, uh, for, um, for almost two years. Uh, that was quite recently. Uh, and I'm also the chair of Mind Out, the LGBT Mental Health Association. So, so mental health within the LGBT plus community is such a huge, huge topic. Uh, and we know that LGBT plus people uh, are more likely to suffer with mental health issues. Mm. Is that, um, something you was, aware with aware of when you were going into that work or, or is that something you kind of had a personal experience with if you'd if you'd like to talk about it yes of course i mean i had um i had a personal experience of mental health when i was about kind of uh, 17 18 19 i think i went through a stage where the things that i was doing weren't serving me and i, w I wasn't feeling able to manage my life i think it's the best way of putting it um, so, and I, I did, I went to see a doctor and I did a few different things. Um, and I, I came from a sort of slightly difficult background. Um, and it, I mean, now I've been through, um, about probably about eight years of psychotherapy and I'm, I'm happy to report that, you know, it's, it's, it's been transformative for me. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm always reluctant to do the things used to be difficult. Now they're fine story because of, of course they're not, you know, um, I think like lots of people, I have good days and bad days. Um, but I think what's really important when we're talking about LGBT people and mental health 
um, is that mental health rates are perhaps unsurprisingly very specific to how that person is treated and welcomed. Um, so, for example, trans people who have disproportionately high rates of poor mental health, where that person grows up in a supportive family, those drop rates drop to about what you would normally expect from anyone else. Um, so I think sometimes as the LGBT community, we can kind of internalize this and see this as our problem. Uh, whereas actually, I think we, we should remember that this is, this is, um, this is a product of living in this world, um, in a place where you have to churn things over and, and at such an early age, try and understand who you are and go through that. And I think that in many ways, we, we gain something from it. I think that sort of, that uh, self-reflection, I think, is quite valuable in a funny way, but I think there's mm. a cost to it too. And I guess that's why it's so, so important for the parents and teachers to be prepared for yeah. if one of their children or, or their um, children in their class were to come out. Um, like, yeah. they need to know the, the important factors of, um, what's going to make life easier for that young LGBT plus people. And, th- and that kind of leads us to the work that you do with Just Like Us. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, th- I sometimes think, you know, teachers are in a, a, a quite a difficult position. So they, they, you know, are expected to be an expert on absolutely anything that could happen to a yeah. young person, which is so, so difficult. It's such a burden to place on them. And yet at the same time, I think most of us remember an experience of coming out that didn't go very well, <laughs> that where we, mm-hmm. we told someone and suddenly you thought, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't a good idea. Um, so I think just around the act of coming out, there's so much work that can be done. You know, I've spoken to parents and I, and they said, you know, they've, to- they've told me stories of, of when they're, when their child came out and they were surprised and they reacted in a way they hadn't hoped and they look back on it and they wish they'd reacted differently. And you think f- because that's such an instrumental time for so many LGBT people, if we could get that information out there, you know, for goodness sake, if someone comes out to you, you know, if, and you're a parent, hug, hug your child, <laughs> you know, and if you're a teacher, just, just, you know, tell them that they're welcome and that they're fine and that they're safe because all those narratives of shame and all those things that go around in our heads, um, you can put them to rest, I think, actually quite easily and quite quickly if you say the right thing. I think it is hard for teachers as well, because it, if, a, if a child is, does come out to a teacher, like that teacher is obviously awesome and has, has obviously made a great impression on that student and the student feels like they, they trust them. So so high five to that teacher. But then that teacher is also in a difficult position because it's like, yeah, now what do they do? What are they allowed to do? Um mm. We've we've seen so much kind of um, troubles, especially last year, with regards to parents and how they feel about um, inclusive LGBT plus education. So, what what would your advice be to a teacher? I think the first thing is that some teachers believe that this is something that you need to talk to the parents about. So, I think this this happens particularly with with trans young people. Um, they will say, "Well, you know, we'll have to tell the parents it's a tr- it's a safeguarding issue. Um, it's not a safeguarding issue. Being trans isn't a safeguarding issue. Uh, being uh, LG or B isn't a safeguarding issue. Being bullied is a safeguarding issue. Um, uh, as is self harming, as is something like that. But I'd say, you know, being LGBT isn't worrying in itself. That person needs to be protected. Um, and in many cases." Telling a parent who's not supportive of a young person's idea identity is a safeguarding issue and can create a safeguarding issue. And unfortunately, this is some of the stuff that happens is that teachers will in a well-meaning way feel like they need to contact parents. And all I would say is that young people tend to be pretty good judges 
of who the right people are to tell them when. And you must never, never, never make sure that we're, you know, we're doing that job for them. Um, because um, I think we're quite likely to get it wrong if we go down that route. Mm. And I feel like that is possibly one of the worst things you can do, like out someone to, yeah. to when they're not ready to be outed. So... Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of the things, obviously we're an LGBT young people's charity, but one of the things that really interests me is that we sometimes the way we treat young people, we wouldn't dream of treating adults in that way. And I think the majority of people wouldn't dream of telling someone else about someone's um, LGBT identity. Um, if, if they were an adult with a young person, it feels like the rules are different. Mm. Um, and I don't think that they are. I think that that how, whatever age they are, if a young person shares with you that kind of personal information, um, then that isn't your information to share. Exactly. So um, just moving on to just like us now, uh, your charity. Uh, how do you feel being the new CEO? Congratulations. Honestly, I'm over the moon. Um, I, I left my previous LGBT charity a few years ago and um, it, it felt like I was missing an arm. Like it really, it really did. Um, I, I really, I really missed this sense of community. There's a, there's a way people work when they're pursuing LGBT inclusion that you will be aware of that perhaps many people haven't been fortunate enough to experience, which is that people are working for themselves, for their community, for, every, for everyone around them, for, for the future. And this is, it is wonderful. For me, it's, it's just the most wonderful feeling that there is. So your charity's goal is to uh, empower young people to be role models. Um, and yeah, I really like that because I remember coming to your Just Like Us Awards earlier this year and you had so many different people come up on stage and collect awards and, and there was kind of a few different strategies in there. I feel like you had um, some young people come up who'd uh, built their own LGBT plus networks in schools. And then I feel like you had some um, teachers who'd come up who, who'd gone through some of your training. Um, and it was just nice seeing how you're approaching it. I, th I think you're doing it in three different ways, aren't you? You've got three different programs. That's right. Yeah. So the ambassador program, um, we train young people between the age of 18 and 25 because we want them to be relatable uh, to the LGBT people that are already at school. Um, and we train them, we give them a bunch of skills uh, in public speaking and telling their story. And then they go into schools and they, t they first of all, I suppose the talk they give covers a little bit of the basic LGBT stuff that is helpful for teachers and students to know. And then they tell their own story. And is it solely uh, senior schools, secondary schools that these ambassadors go into? So we do engage with primary schools through School Diversity Week. Um, at the moment, we just send um, we just send ambassadors into secondary school, but we will be building a primary program. And I know that as someone that does quite a lot of work at primary level, I think there can sometimes be an assumption that primary schools aren't ready for this work or um, or, you know, should somehow this is an issue for older people. And, and my worry with that approach is I think that we're feeding the same narratives um, that have kept us back for so long. Um, in, in, you know, we're not talking about sex education here. We're talking about people talking about their lives. Uh, so someone coming in and saying, hello, this is me. This is my story. A primary school will already have policemen doing that, firefighters doing that. Um, I said policemen instead of police officers. Look at that. Uh, so police pol people. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, <laughs> you corrected yourself. <laughs> I better. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, so, so all these people already exist. And why not have LGBT people going and talking? to young people about themselves. Um, so that is something that we're going to be developing over the next year. 
yeah because as, as you might know i go into primary schools and and, and chat with the the children there and they're, they're aged four to 11 uh and yeah with the really little ones i, I don't need to tell my story like i just talk to them about family diversity and, and keep it really cute and on a level that you know they understand and doesn't go over their head but with the older children like in the in the junior section like uh seven eight nine and, and ten like i feel like i can come out to them if i need to and they can ask questions and yeah i guess it's just about being a role model for them i i think so i think i think it's about visibility i mean we at the moment we have same-sex parents throughout the uk if you just speak to any teacher in any primary school they will have one or two same-sex parents uh, one or two sets of same-sex parents are we saying that these children don't need to hear about about same-sex relationships well of course they do i, I mean they have same-sex relationships at home so i think to come into school and to not see that and to have that completely removed from school life um it could call, is go, is going to cause problems for people um but to be really clear you know when we talk about lgbt inclusion in primary school we're not really talking about sex education. What we're talking about is please let let young people know we exist. I mean, that, that's really how low the bar is on that. Um, and something else that I've also learned from visiting primary schools is um, the children are very much influenced by each other. And I feel like that's what you try to do um, with your, uh, is it Pride Group program in your schools? So the Pride Group program brings together groups of LGBT young people and their allies um, who do a variety of things within the school. So we provide them with a resource a week, which could be a talking point or something, an exercise they can crack on with. Um, but the importance of Pride Groups really is that we want to see schools listening to LGBT young people that are there, you know, um, I haven't been at school for a very long time. So whereas I feel able to lead an LGBT charity, I can't say that I totally know what it's like to be LGBT at school right now. I certainly don't know what it's like to be LGBT in their school. Um, but actually, you know, certainly for a secondary school, they've got this wealth of resource, you know, in a funny way, um, you know, what we aim to do is really to get them to talk to their own students about these issues. I think it's difficult because not every school is going to be a place where it's okay to be openly LGBT. Um, so before that happens, we send in ambassadors to give talks. We involve the schools in school diversity week. Um, we want the schools to, to make really visible displays of celebration, basically to let LGBT young people know this is a place where you can be you. Um, and once LGBT young people know that, um, they have a much better handle than I do or anyone else on how they should be treated within that school. And now, now let's go on to the, the main event, <laughs> School Diversity Week, which I feel like is what you're really well known for. Uh, and this will be your first School Diversity Week this year. However, it's going to be a very different one, isn't it? It is. Yes. So uh, I, 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 I'm relatively recent at Just Like Us. I took over um, uh, 13 weeks ago, I think. And um, when I started, you know, we were living in a very different world. <laughs> mm. We had schools and, and we, you know, we were looking forward. We had ambassador visits. We had all the things, all the outputs that our charity normally delivers. And within, I think, four, within three weeks, um, you know, we were not able to use our office. We were working from home. Um, think we were in a very different landscape. And I think there was a conversation we had in the office around, you know, can we have a school diversity week without schools? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it seemed impossible at the time. 
Um, but then we looked around the sector and, and the charity sector is under immense pressure at the moment. Um, and, and we knew that, you know, all sorts of people are rolling back their work and, and are not able to deliver what they wanted to. And it really felt like we had a responsibility to, to step up and see what we could do and see if we could do things differently. Um, so we got together a bunch of uh, some of the most talented people we know, yourself included, oh, uh, and you. asked them <laughs> and, and asked them to deliver a lesson, I guess. So we've got a week's worth of masterclasses aimed at young people, primary and secondary, uh, delivered by absolute experts in their field um, on all sorts of different topics uh, relating to LGBT inclusion. So, uh, for example, we've got... Um, uh, Dan Vo will be joining us uh, oh, from the VNA, so cool. who's talking about yeah, yeah. Uh, LGBT people in art. Isn't he amazing? <laughs> um, and we've got, do you know Sasha Coward? Yes, um, Mermaid Hunter. Who's going to be talking about? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> who's going to be talking about LG, the same-sex relationships in ancient Greek and ancient Rome? And I think one of the reasons I'm so so thrilled to be running this event is that is that you know you and I know these sessions because you know that on Twitter that they, they post these incredible videos. And they're really, really interesting and really engaging. Um, but I just really want to bring these voices to, to, to a wider community. Um, we've got um, Lady Phil from Black Pride. Yes. Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Ranj is going to be talking about coronavirus for young people. Um, we've, we've got this whole, this whole um, calendar of, of LGBT uh, people just delivering these fantastic sessions online. Um, yeah, very happy with it. That's going to be incredible. And and so how do people listening get involved? Like, when is it, first of all? So it starts, it's normally 22nd. That's right. Yeah, that's bang on. Of June. 20, 22nd of June. Uh, so uh, that's a Monday and it's for that week. Um, and if you want to get involved, head over to our website, www.justlikeus.org um, and, and have a look for School Diversity Week. Um, and you can sign up your school there. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, we wanted to create a week that we looked at and we thought, oh my goodness, this looks fascinating. Um, Travis Alabanza is delivering a session on their creative process and how they come up with the show. Um, stuff that I thought, wow, that, I'd actually really like to know that. Um, and, and we've done that. So we're really looking forward to it. Oh my gosh, that is going to be awesome. I can't wait for that. <laughs> um, so that's going to be this year. Let's just briefly talk about like yeah. what does a school diversity week look like? Not in lockdown <laughs> when we can <laughs> when we can all be with each other. So so usually we would deliver through the schools. So we would provide a pack of information to teachers to facilitate them delivering LGBT inclusive content to young people. Um, and it's a really good model. We work with some of the most passionate teachers you can ever imagine that are really really keen to drive uh, drive. Um, this work forward and um and i will be doing that anyway because of course when we talk about schools being closed what we really mean is partially closed there are there are some young people in in there i mean goodness knows what's going to happen by the end of june um so we're also still delivering us that online pack uh, for schools to educate their young people but we're going to have these master classes and sessions and activities to sit alongside them as well Dominic, it has been awesome chatting with you today. Yeah, it's been great chatting to you too. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. <laughs> um, but before we go, uh, I have one last question yes. um, for you. And that is, what would you say to a younger you? Oh, um, do you know, Stephen Fry once started a letter um, to his younger self with, um, I hope you're well, I know that you're not. And I thought that was that was quite sweet. Uh, what would I say? Uh, and I'm trying to steer clear of the cliches here. 
Um, I think for a long time, I probably blamed myself for things that weren't my fault. So I think if I was speaking to a younger version of me, um, I'd encourage me uh, to to look at that closer and earlier, I think. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Thank you. And thank you for being here. Uh, I'm super looking forward to uh, working with you in the future. Oh, and also thank you because you're going to be donating some Kenny Lives books. We absolutely um, are, yeah. As part of my Kenny Lives campaign. Yes, um, we are. I'm not sure which schools we're sending them to yet, but I'm imagining there's some in your network already, some primary schools. That's what I was going to suggest. So um, if, if you would be okay with it, what, what I t- we'll look at the schools that already have them. We'll look at the schools in our network and any that fall into that ground where they are in our network and don't already have one, um, we're very happy to send them a book. Amazing. If you're in one of them schools, lucky lucky you you're gonna get a book (laughs) hey everyone thank you for listening to equality education with me ollie pike please remember to subscribe and download this episode and if you can give us a review on apple podcasts awesome thanks